Hello, and welcome to the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us. Today's message is here to help you preach the good news everywhere in your day-to-day life. Here at Covenant Fellowship, we accomplish this by encountering God, loving people, and serving others with everything we've got. Now let's dive in. Spiritual pressure. So we've done talked about some different pressures throughout this series. I want to talk to you today about spiritual pressure. Readily, you might not recognize it, but I, I want you to really tune into this. And I don't know if this is going to come out like I feel it in my heart. I'm going to trust the Lord through this. But, uh, but I hope that I communicate in a way that you really get it. And that the Holy Spirit brings revelation to your heart of why you are feeling the type of pressure, the spiritual pressure uh, that we are all under. America is a melting pot of religious philosophies that have undermined the truth of the Bible. While we welcome immigrants of all nationalities of every country around sometimes people bring with them their ideas of religion and in that sometimes because we're some mostly an open-minded society we start appropriating it in our thought process it eventually makes it into our spiritual ideas and thoughts you got people who believe that when your loved one dies they get wings can I just tell you the bible does not teach that your loved one gets wings when they die They don't get angel wings. They don't get a harp in their hand, and they don't float on clouds. That's not what the Bible teaches. But when we hear things like that, we start adapting those things into our thought processes. And without recognizing it, after a while, we have a spirituality that doesn't look anything like the Bible. We don't understand why we can't get breakthrough. We don't understand why we are dealing with so much anxiety and depression and all kinds of other things. But after all, we're real spiritual people. The spiritual climate has been such that we are a melting pot. There's spiritual pressures to bow down to ideologies that war against the Word of God. I've been listening to preachers as I do so often, but I'm hearing preachers use phrases that come directly from Eastern mysticism. So you've got Eastern mysticism mixed with a little secular humanism, a little bit of Bible thrown in there because we like to throw in the scriptures that make us feel good. So we got to throw in a little scriptures to make grandma feel good about our spirituality too, right? Like we throw in a little bit of Bible. We automatically think because somebody bows in an end zone that they're praying to Jesus. So we throw in a little bit of Bible, a little bit of astrology because after all, we got to know what our sign says because that's got to give us our future, right? Man, there's crickets in this house today. Mix that with some popular opinion. You shape a view of God that looks nothing like the God of the Bible. 
doesn't look anything like the God of the Bible, then when we try to somehow mimic what it might look like when we meet an authentic Christian, when we try to mimic their worship, when we try to mimic somehow in a church service what they're doing, we don't understand how they can have such an encounter with God and we feel nothing. So the spiritual pressure that we feel in our current climate, I want to talk about that just a little bit. Jesus, in his day and time, dealt with religious spiritual pressure, but it looked a little different maybe than now. Although there were some philosophies that was getting into some of the people you read in the book of Revelation, even a little while after Jesus had already gone to heaven, you, you find that people didn't like the, or, or they were being uh, uh, manipulated by the Nicolaitans. They had received some of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You see that in, the, in Revelations 2 and 3. Uh, they, they had re, received some, 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 some teachings and some ideas uh, of of Balaam, they, they just a lot of different ideologies, and uh, then you had the people who said, "Well, we just listen to Moses and the law," and then you have some that says, "Well, we supersede Moses and the law because we have Abraham as our father." And Jesus, you know, he's coming in on the scene during his day and time, and the disciples. It's almost as if they're wrestling with the question. It's like like we don't we don't know who to trust. We we gotta see the Father. What? Who is the Father? Jesus said, how long have I been with you and you've not seen the Father? Jesus being the perfect replica of the Father, showing them who God was and the standard of God. I think one of the greatest questions you'll ever ask in your life is who is God? And the second one is do you know him? Who is God? If I were to sit down with you today and say, describe God to me. Do you feel like you could do that from a very biblical standpoint? Do you feel like you could do that from the basis of the Bible? Or would you say, well, it's just what I believed. Well, it's what my grandma believed about God. It's what my daddy believed about God. It's what my uncle believed about God. Listen, friend, the greatest question that you'll ever have to answer in your life is, who is God? Who is he? If he exists, if he's real, who is he? Jesus came to reveal who God was. Jesus came to, to help exemplify so that humanity didn't have to be so confused and feel like they were under some type of pressure, at least from a spiritual perspective. And when we think about spiritual pressure, you would think, why am I under spiritual pressure at all? I want to give you two understandings of that. One, because there's a real devil who seeks to steal, kill, and to destroy. Number two, there's a real Holy Spirit that is calling and drawing people to righteousness. There, there is some sense of right direction that deep within inside of your being pulls at you. 
more than breaking the law, you know there's something that pulls at you to try to make right decisions. And when something is not done that's not quite right, you have this innateness to say that isn't quite right. That isn't the way things ought to be. So the Holy Spirit is real. The devil is real. And we live in a world where that influence is happening. And I wanted to take you to Matthew chapter 6 in hopes that today somehow we might relieve some spiritual pressure through the Word of God that might be on your and my life so that we can kind of get back to plumb, so that we can kind of get back to the straight and narrow. Some people hate the idea of straight and narrow. But back to the straight and narrow, back to the place where you're aiming at the heart of God, right back to the place where you can begin to cultivate and know God and have relationship with God. And we're starting at an unusual place. It's called the prayer, the, 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 the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. And the disciples, they're asking, teach us to pray. In other words, if God is real and we're supposed to connect with him, teach us to talk to him. Teach us a way to communicate with him. Because if he is real and if we can be his child and his yoke is easy and his burden is light, there's got to be a way that I connect with him so that the pressures that I sense and feel around me somehow get alleviated so that I can walk in faith knowing that God has my life in his hand. So he teaches him. He says, in this manner pray. And he says the first statement, our Father which is in heaven. Our Father which is in heaven. How could this actually alleviate pressure, spiritual pressure? Now, I don't have time to teach on the doctrine of heaven. I don't have time to teach all the relational identity of God being Father. I just want to take it at face value and help you to recognize that God relates to you more as a good Father and is in a position called heaven whereby he can see what you cannot see. So if that means relationally you have a father that can see what you cannot see, can you go back to a little child and alleviate yourself of the pressure of today's common thought process I don't, of I don't know what I'm going to do? Do you remember what it was like being a little kid in your, in your mom or daddy's house? Now, some of you might have had a good experience. Some of you might have had a bad experience. And for the case of having a good experience for relatability, that's how I'm going to use this today. But do you remember as a kid ever having to worry about paying the water bill? Do you ever remember having to worry about paying the light bill? Or did you just trust that somehow mom and daddy were going to take care of that? Most of us, even though I had a very dysfunctional family, most of us, if we could just go back to that time, that moment when we didn't have to worry about those things. And here's what he's saying. 
I need you to recognize that you have a father in heaven. Jesus is not just giving us a prayer to recite, but a revelation of reality. He taught his disciples that when you go about, you're you're not to worry about tomorrow. You, You don't even have to take an extra handbag with you today. And he said, don't you know that the lilies of the field, God oversees that and you're more precious, the birds of the air, and you're more precious than any one of those? Man, I'm telling you, Something that will relieve your heart of just the pressure. It's just knowing that you have a relationship with a heavenly father who says your well-being is on me. Now we wrestle with that. We're in a, we feel like we're in a tug of war with that. Because after all, we're adults and we're supposed to take on responsibilities. We're supposed to provide for our families. We're supposed to, we're we're just supposed to figure it out. We're supposed to work it out. We're supposed to, we're supposed to do all the right things. And I'm not against those. And you know, God says if you don't take care of your own household, you can't take care of the kingdom of God. All those things, all of those things are important, but this has to do with the spiritual base level. And at a spiritual base level, when you recognize that you are a child of God and that your future and your responsibility is in his hand, friend, that takes the pressure, the pressure off. It takes the pressure off of knowing that I don't have to be a millionaire, but if I tithe and give off of what little bit I have, oh, God has a way of making a way for me where there may seem to be no way. If, if, I just, if I just understand that he relates to me as a child, you know, my dad, my dad, I told you before, my, I grew up the son of a coal miner. My dad was a coal miner, and he worked second shift most of my young adult life. In fact, I don't ever remember him working any other shift than second shift. We lived so far away from the high school, he had to be at work at a certain times. So the most of the time throughout the week when I would see my dad, it would be that our school bus would pass him on the way. And I would be looking where about the time that I would be able to think I would see my dad. And he'd always wave at the bus And the bus was full of kids. I don't know if he could pick his own out (laughs) in that whole group of kids, but we were waving back. But my dad was faithful to go to work. Sometimes if we were up late, and many times we were, if we were up late, dad didn't take a shower at the shower house at the coal mine, so he was almost unrecognizable when he'd come home. In the coal set, you could tell where he had a respirator on, and you could see around his eyes but the rest of him was coal black. I mean, just dirt and grime. He had multiple layers of clothing on because it was all, it didn't matter if it was the middle of the summer, he always had long johns and everything on because it's 57 degrees under the ground, 56 degrees or whatever. And, and so he was always in uh, extra clothing. But you know what? My dad was faithful to go to work and take care of us kids. And again, I could get off of school and I could go play with my buddies and I could do, you know, 
I could go out and build forts and I could do all kinds of things. And I'm not promoting irresponsibility today. I'm not trying to promote uh, any, any, any sense of making right decisions. But what I am saying is that you got to let your heart rest in. Because you're going to face some things in your life. You're not going to know how to figure it out. And all of your right decisions somehow take you to a place of, man, somebody canceled the contract. Somebody didn't come through. Something happened. The job went out. People, they, went, they, they, they got somebody else to do it. You got a weird diagnosis. Something happened. But somehow you got to rest in the fact that you have a heavenly Father who can see what you can cannot see and you have to recognize that he's still God he was God when you didn't know it and he's God when you did know it he was God when you understood things and he's still God when you don't understand things get out from underneath the pressure and just let God be God in your life so everybody in this room ought to be able to breathe deeply and relax just a little bit because you know that God is your father you know that he's fighting your battles for you you know that he's got you in his hand, our Father which art in heaven. And then he says, hallowed be your name. How in the world can hallowed be your name be a place of release and pressure release? When you understand the reality of praise over screaming and complaining, over things that you cannot control. If the church could ever really truly get a revelation of worship and praise, and I'm thankful that through my lifetime I have seen the church grasp worship and praise better. I was sharing with our team this morning. There was a season and time where people saw worship and praise and announcements and all that stuff before church as what, we, what they called preliminary. It's kind of like the preliminary before the main event, which is preaching. And I shared with him, I don't see that as preliminary. I don't see one outweighing the other. God wants people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And God, so you, you got to have the time of worship and praise and adoration. And you got to have the preached word for revelation purposes and inspirational purposes so that you can grasp what God is saying and then praise him for what he's saying because you know if he speaks it, it's coming to pass. You know if he revealed it, it's happening. So the point is this. If we could just understand that the church could truly get the powerful revelation of praise being a place of release. I'm telling you right now, we've yet to tap in to the fullness of what the release of spiritual pressure that you're under could, could, could happen if we understood perfectly. And then not just understood, but practiced authentic praise. We study the words. We know what Todah is. We know what Halal is. We know what Yadah is. We, I mean, we, we know what Shabak is. I've done a teaching on all the names that have been given for praise in the Scripture. And all of them mean something, and they're powerful. But they don't just mean for the sake of knowledge. They also had postures with it. Like, you, you, you don't give a... Shabbat praise the same way you, way you give a Hallel praise. Those have posture expressions to them. 
but we think because we're in a worship service, the band is playing something fast and we're tapping our foot only. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to judge your praise, but, but I'm just saying if I were to take literally the understanding of those different names, none of the postures is foot tapping. That's bluegrass. And Rocky Top didn't play much yesterday. So you didn't get much bluegrass. Not too much flat footing yesterday. I just lost everybody right there. Did y'all feel that heaviness right there? I mean, somebody picked up stones. You brought stones in here today with you. Hey, I'm a Tennessee fan, so I was crying with you. But the issue is, is that there are pressures that you'll face in your life. Let me give you the revelation of it if I can. Do you realize that God could have given the nation of Israel victory and access to the promised land through any other means other than shouting at a bunch of walls? God is not trying to just show you how strong he can be by knocking over walls. He's trying to give his people a revelation of the power and access that comes through praise. And you need to understand, listen, he had them to shout. He had them to march around the building or the walls and shout. When I look at that and I look at different places and times throughout the scripture, I know that there, here's, here's a truth that I've learned. There are some victories that you will never get until you learn to shout the praises of God. You will find yourself with promises that God has promised you and not being able to access them because the unwillingness to shout the praises of God. It sounds so simple. But the truth is, is that there's always pressure. There's pressure around it. And you can look through the scriptures and the Bible says, clap your hands, all you people who shout unto God with the voice of triumph. That's not just good worship leader talk. That's revelation from heaven because God says, when you praise me, there is a pressure that you feel that will be released because there's an enemy that called the devil who used to be the worship leader of heaven who used to understand the power of praise and worship who comes at every single believer to try to keep you from it so that he can keep you from the access of the deeper and the better things of God. And because there's a real enemy that's doing that, you think it's just your personality or you don't want people to look at you weird, but it's really spiritual pressure that tries to keep you from the access of the things of God. You say, Pastor, is it just that simple? Most spiritual things are just that simple and yet that hard. Simple thing. The most simple thing in the world is bringing 10% of your income and putting it in a little white box. It's simple, but you know it's one of the hardest things that you've ever done. And you know how I know that? Because most churches, even spirit-filled churches, only 11% of its constituency actually really does give a tithe. It's pressure. The pressure. 
and simple obedience. Well, I don't want people to think I'm weird. You put that pressure on yourself. The devil puts that pressure on you. God doesn't put that pressure on you. God says when you're able to do that, I'll relieve you of every bit of the pressure. The pressure was you can't push these walls over. The pressure is you can't obtain the promise on yourself. But if I can get you to shout, I'll show you how I can push those walls over real easy. It may be too hard for you. It may be too thick for you. It may be too high for you. But all I need is one act of obedience, and I'll show you how I can give you breakthrough in a moment. In a you, the, you, you th this is not pressure. I told you not long ago about when they sent out the spies to go into the promised land and they come back and they say, hey, the land is really flowing with milk and honey. It's a beautiful place. We brought back grapes. Here's the grapes, clusters of grapes carrying it on their, on their poles, on shoulders. They bring it. Yes, this is truly the promised land. It does have everything in it that we've been told for all these 400 years. It really is that place. Uh, but... The sons of Anak are there, and we are like grasshoppers in their sight. Do you know where the pressure came in? Because they saw themselves as grasshoppers. When God says, I've already given you the promise. It was self-imposed evaluation rather than trusting and believing God. It was the fact that they saw themselves. And if you could ever get the grasshopper mentality out of your head. If I could ever get the grasshopper mentality out of my head in all areas of my life to truly trust God. If I could truly worship, praise, hallowed his name unashamedly. The next thing he says is your kingdom come. I'm, I promise to speed this up a little bit. Otherwise, if I go this slow throughout this, we're going to be here all day. Your kingdom come. The pressure is released to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. But we struggle to do that. We struggle. We, we don't know how to put the kingdom first. We're always positioning and fighting to put me and my family and my stuff and my things first and I see it all the time and I understand how that looks I understand that family is part of you and where you do that but sometimes there's an internal pressure the pressure that comes to maybe take care of me myself first before God and God says You're, if you put the kingdom first survey this congregation, do you really believe God means what he says? I know that was a little bit rhetorical and I knew you would answer that way. But he really does mean if you put his kingdom first all things will be added to you. He really does mean that. He's not just saying that. That's not preacher talk to try to get 100% people to volunteer, 100% people to tithe and give. Really, 
I, I am telling you right now, God means what he says. And he says, if you need your life taken care of and oversaw by me in every area of your life, put my kingdom first. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The pressure of doing it his way and not ours. The pressure of doing it his way. Single people, let me talk to you. I hit it a little bit last week. Keep dating his way. And it's a spiritual thing. We think it's a bodily function and it's a spiritual thing. Friend, when you have intercourse with somebody that you're not married to, it's spiritual. You create a soul tie that you'll have to deal with the demonic stronghold potentially for the rest of your life if you do not get it under the blood of Jesus Christ. And to think that you would have it any other way is foolishness. And you say, well, you're just talking down your nose as a judgmental preacher. Friends, listen to me. I lived an immoral life. So I am not talking to you about something that I have no experience in. I didn't come to Jesus till I was 23 years old. And I'm telling you, I lived a terrible life before that. And if I, I am telling you, until you get some things under the blood of Jesus Christ and say, God, I should have done it your way. I wish I would have done it your way. And if you sit down and talk to people who truly done it God's way and lived it out in God's way, they have. It's like two people speaking two different languages as it pertains to mental and emotional scars. One person's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't have to deal with any of that because they chose God's way. This culture and through spiritual means, will put pressure on you to do it any other way other than God's way. And I need to just share with somebody. I need to share with us. You, you need to know. You've got to convince yourself. Ask Holy Spirit to help you. Convince your heart. Please convince my heart, Holy Spirit, that the ways of God are better than my ways. And it takes off the pressure. You know why it takes off the pressure? Because the results are his. Man, it's such a pressure release to do it God's way. He says, give us this day our daily bread. The pressure comes off when you operate in his economy. I mean, hear me, the pressure comes off when you operate in God's economy. I, I would argue with this. You think you would win, and you might, in your own eyes. But let me, let me just give you something. Huh, I'm not, I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many of you in this room would say, I'm on fixed income? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Because I know numbers and budgets work. One plus one equals two. Numbers and budgets work. Except when you get involved in God's economy. 
When you get involved in God's economy and you see some hundred, some 30, some 60-fold multiplication, it's like God, his math is so much different than ours. It's like it works different than ours. And when, when you do that, the pressure comes off. The pressure comes off that says, if, if the job stops tomorrow, if the economy crashes tomorrow, it's not as though I don't have to make adjustments in my life, but the future outcome of my life depends on my God. And I know that if he has to multiply bread and fish again, if he has to have a raven to fly me a loaf of bread, I just believe that. I, I, I just believe God. If I can't believe that, I can't believe any of it. So if you don't come through there, then why should I believe in heaven? Why should I believe in blood? Why should I believe in resurrection? But if I can believe that, and if I can see that, because that's the one he says, you need to prove me in this one. Because if you can prove me in this one and I show myself strong, resurrection is not a problem for you anymore. Virgin birth is not a problem for you anymore. Heaven's not a problem for you anymore. Mansions are not a problem for you anymore. Come on, somebody. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Pressure comes. When you release someone of the responsibility to come back and say, I'm sorry. And it is a choice, not a feeling. Because God made a choice for you so that he could show you the reality. See, here's, here, let me put it this way. We use the, we, we use the term, for God so loved the world, and he did, that he gave his only begotten son. Yet then we read uh, in other passages of scripture where God hates a liar. God, God hates one who sows discord among the brethren. God hates an unbalanced scale and those that fix the unbalanced scale. Like, wait a minute, how does that whole love-hate thing really work? I mean, I just don't understand how all of that works I personally believe it works from the, the fact that God decided to forgive humanity which through that give him the gateway to express his love toward humanity in other words before the foundation of the world, Christ, it was fixed that Christ was going to die on a cross. A decision was made to forgive you even before you, you, you trespassed. Even before you could love him back. The Bible calls us, before you were saved, you know what the Bible calls you and me? The enemy of God. We were enemies to the Lord. Enemies to his cause. Before we were saved. 
And he made a choice to give Jesus for you and for me. And then because he made a choice in that, we received that. Now we're reconciled to God. The point being is this. It'll take a lot of pressure off of your heart, a lot of pressure off of your mind if you'll forgive that person that hurt you. If you'll go ahead right now, make the decision. Release them of the responsibility to come back and say, I'm sorry. Oh, they got to make some things right. That's on their own head. But to get the pressure off of you, and here's the whole point of that. The point is already pretty much mostly already made, but the point is this. It is when you can express the character of God almost unlike any other thing. In other words, through the Lord's Prayer, he could have said most any other thing, but he chooses to put this whole forgiveness thing in there. It relieves your soul of so much pressure. It relieves your soul of so much heartache. It stops the control of someone else over your destiny and over your future if you go ahead and forgive them. But if you keep harboring it and if you keep mowing it over in your mind, your emotions, your thought processes, then the next thing you know that you start acting out of that and it's controlling your destiny in God. He says, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The pressure, the pressure of giving in to the enemy rather than resisting and submitting, submitting and resisting. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The pressure is released when every part of our life is lived for His glory. And that wraps up this episode of the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. For more information about who we are, please visit us at cfbristol.com or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope that you have a blessed day. And as always, just like we find in Isaiah 60, verse 1, we hope you arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you.